Hi everyone, welcome to the 26th episode of In The Vitrine. My name is Danny. And I'm Nadia. And today, we're going to talk about two exhibitions that we caught in Melbourne at the National Gallery Victoria, or NGV. The first is Collecting Com, mm-hmm. um, and the second is Japanese Modernism. Yes, and yes. I was so looking forward to Collecting Com, um, and it didn't disappoint. It was based on this collection by a private collector called Takamasa Takahashi, who has been collecting com since... The 1980s. Mm. And it's supported but with additional loans from his archive as well. So he didn't donate all of it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And there were more than 50 garments. So it was really a very comprehensive look at her work. Yeah, and it also um, featured designs by two of Kawakubo's protégés, Mm -hmm. uh, Junior Watanabe and Tao Kurihara from the NGV collection. Um, So... I knew that the collection or the exhibition was going to be good because Danny had actually seen it yeah. before and <laughs> she had talked it up it. Yeah. Um, so much before we left for Melbourne <laughs> that I thought, oh gosh, you know, I'm going to be disappointed because I'm going to expect so much of it. But it was amazing. And you know, one thing that really struck me about the exhibition from the beginning was that it was very well designed. Yes. So that's not always a given. You know, no. sometimes the work is really beautiful, but then the curation or the exhibition design is really bad and then mm-hmm. that just kind of taints the whole experience. But yep. this was incredible. I really enjoyed, in particular, the the low ceilings, you know, and, you know, the idea that we're kind of in like a grotty yeah. enclave yeah. and there were these like random, um, well, obviously it's not random, but they looked random, yeah. like these crosses on the um, panels. Yeah, it's like we were in a constru- under construction and the materiality of it was like there was concrete, there was... That's things right. that looked like they were half painted. Yeah. It was very wabi-sabi. Yeah. And, and another thing that uh, my husband pointed out was the fact that even the light design, like when they when they lighted up maybe like the big panel, it was kind of in this blurred off, off, off. Yeah. It wasn't a perfect rectangle. Yeah. So everything was so thoughtful and so soft and so textured yeah and then presenting all these amazing clothes yes so I think for Danny and me it's even more exciting because like we both have written about Comme des Garçons mm. for Fashion Photography Archive on Bloomsbury Fashion Central mm-hmm. and um, you know it's so different looking at images and looking at the real deal totally so it was such a treat for us to see you know clothing that we had tried to describe before and tried to analyze before based on images um, from the fashion photography archive and one of the first one of the first ones Mm. if we're talking about like iconic garments is that famous lace sweater from 1981 and it still looks so contemporary today as it looked in 1981 for sure um, and I also like that in the exhibition, I mean, most of the clothing were on mannequins, mm-hmm. but some of them were kind of plastered, you know, in like a frame, mm. um, as if it's, how do we describe this? It's almost as if it's like a, in a foreign flower pressing <laughs> That's kind, true. Of, yeah. kind of look. Or as if you are in an archive looking at this clothing, because some of them true. were opened up so you could see the inside. 
That's true. So you can imagine that you went into um, the back room and you're just looking at these things under tissue paper, mm. um, but they are just instead kind of plastered on the wall and they are opened up to reveal the construction, the inner construction of these garments. So it's really quite magical. Yeah. And of course, everything is like pretty much black and white. Um, there are some splashes of red, some... Um, calico colours. Calico yeah. colours as well, but yeah. There was this specific section that had a plastered background and like kind of backdrop mm-hmm. red that was highlighting this specific um, collection called Bad Taste, um, which was quite a departure in her work. Where it was looking a lot at Harajuku and Lolita fashion and was really using all the tropes of what is considered bad taste. So like polyester, excessive ruffles, um, excessive decoration. And another thing that I really loved about the curation and the captions of this exhibition was the fact that they had side captions where they had anecdotes from the collector, from Takamasa Mm. Takahashi, talking about um, the first time he saw this or why he collected this piece. And, you know, you can see his excitement and his love for the brand and the yeah. work. And it really made the whole exhibition feel very intimate, you know, because mm. it wasn't just about, like, the genius of um, Rikawa Kubo, yes. but it was also about the love of a collector yes. for Rikawa Kubo. So we totally loved that. Love. And we read everything <laughs> and we took copious of numbers of pictures. Um, the collection I was most excited to see was the Body Meets Dress, Dress Meets mm. Body collection. I really like this collection because I love how everything is kind of encasing the body and um, accentuating the body's curves, but also how it um, kind of distorted it as well, right? With like all the additional lumps and bumps yeah. that come with, you know, the the padded bits. Yeah, I love that collection too. It's also one of the most iconic in terms of challenging body shapes and ideals. And it was also what inspired um, choreographer Mercy Cunningham to work with um, Rikawa Kubo. Yeah, so this was... Uh, sorry. No, yeah. that's all. So this was the Spring-Summer 1997 collection. And um, like I mentioned earlier, it's usually called the Lumps and Bums collection. Mm-hmm. Although the real name of it is Body Meets Dress, Dress Meets Body. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't very well received, I guess, no, you know, by journalists. It was kind of like equally criticised and lauded. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was... Very interesting. And there was a video showing that specific collection That's right. on the wall. So they did pick very pertinent examples of some of her most iconic um, shows. And there was music. And yeah. there was a playlist at the site. So there was music that had been used in Reikao Kubo's uh, yeah. runways. I took a picture of that. So I'm going to talk about what's on the playlist. Okay. So there was, for example... <laughs> Um, the first song is by Vernal Equinox called Sunrise. That was David Bowie, Art Decade, Grey, Drum Mode, Patrick Cowley, The Runner, Time for Dreams, Stranger, um, Sada Bonner, Invitation, Clan of Zimox, No Words, The Fall, Flat of Angles, Yellow Magic Orchestra, Ballet, Mariah, Shinzo no Tobira, Andy Stott, New Romantic, Chris Clark, Plain 1930s, and Pie Corner Audio, Ganzeld effect. So there you have it, the whole playlist, you know, and... Somebody has made that playlist on Spotify. (laughs) So you can download that after you listen to this podcast, if you like. Um, So I didn't have to read the whole thing. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, so it was really nice to kind of walk through the exhibition and hear all these things. And so it was 
quite magical because there were all these elements that came into play, right? Like there was the lighting, there was the set design, mm. um, there were the things on the wall, there were things on the mannequins, there yep. was like the labels telling us what we were looking at, and then um, the collector's input. And then there were these videos showing the collection being presented, and there were these music you know, beautiful songs that were playing at the same time. So yeah. it was a treat for the senses. And what was nice is that they've tried as much as possible to keep the whole look together so you get a feel of what that look would have been, how it would have been presented. So up to the hats and the shoes. That's of right. course, not for all of the looks. So they were quite careful about mentioning this in the captions. Yeah. And, I mean, the clothes are... Spec- they are literally... They perform by themselves. So yes. she's had such a prolific career mm. that even though some for some collections there's only one example, you really get a feel of like her how she's developed and like all the ideas that she has had, how unique all of them were and how it has influenced designers now. Yeah. And you just wonder at her genius, right? Because yeah. I mean, you know, the collector, um, so Takamasa Takahashi, uh Danny was talking about how there were these bits, you know, where he talks about the dresses. So I'm going to read one, which I thought was really interesting, about how he said, you know, this dress I saw at a shop, it was on a hanger, so I didn't know how it would look when worn. It was an odd-shaped dress, but it caught my attention immediately when laid flat, it forms a circular shape with two large and two small openings. Mm. After I bought it, I was very surprised to see how it came to life on my mannequin. So he had a mannequin. See, he put it on the mannequin. Was it this one? Yes, this one. Okay, That's so right. when worn on the mannequin, it looks as if there is this movement swirling around the body. Mm. Oh, there were just so many, but one that I particularly love to see in real life and the fact that they had recreated the, the newspaper collage on the mannequin head, which was used in the runway show, was the 2001 Ethnic Couture White Collection from Spring Summer 2002. And this was actually shown after 9-11. And one of... Because I think I featured this collection in one of my writings. So I remember reading about it and how she had said that, especially in times like these, um, they wanted to reflect what was going in, going on in at that time. And they used like front page newspapers from those days on the... On the, mani- on the models. And also the look itself, it's playing with one of the tropes that Comme des Garçons uses a lot, which is the clown, but also the bride. And you can see that in the Pierrot kind of like excessive, exaggerated collar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, my favourite was um, a jacket and skirt combination from the 2006 Cubism collection from spring, yeah, spring, summer 20. Mm-hmm. 2007, and it's a beautiful kind of deconstructed um, blazer, I would say, right? It's sleeveless, it has tool on it, it has like a giant belt that cinches at the waist. Um, so it's like a, I don't know, like a deconstructed, um, and that's a word that's often used with Rick Harakobo, of course, a deconstructed look that would look amazing on Carrie Bradshaw. That's what I thought actually when I saw this. <laughs> Um, and what I found interesting about this exhibition was also that it showcased the work of um, Junior Watanabe and the other person. Okay, now I forget the name, but I mentioned it at the beginning. <laughs> Let me just bring it up. This is terrible because I should know the name, but I do not off the top of my head. Let's see. Aha, uh-huh, I've got it. Um, so it's Tao Kurihara. And 
I thought that, you know, it was interesting to see how their work um, was derivative of Comme des Garçons, um, but also how they departed from, you know, their mentor's work. Yes. Um, and I couldn't help but think that, you know, a lot of Japanese designers work also look like, you know, Rikawa Kubo's work, like Sakai, for instance, right, who is so big right now. But she used to work, Chitose Abe used to work with, in Comme des Garçons. So Got it. I think she has really kind of mentored and groomed so many designers. Mm. And also because her work takes in so much influence from contemporary pop culture, but also from Japanese aesthetics, Mm -hmm. I think there's definitely something that joins them together. So it kind of creates this collective thought. Yeah. Well, speaking about Japanese aesthetic, there Mm. was another exhibition. um, They were caught by surprise. Yeah. Oh my God, it was so good. I didn't think it would be so good, but we were just taken by everything we saw. It was... Called Japanese Modernism, right? Yes. I hope that's the name yeah, of it. Yeah, it was called Japanese Modernism. Japanese Modernism, yeah. And we were quite... Uh, we discussed that we were quite um, surprised that there was so much female-centricness in it. Yeah, so this was like the 1930s, so the interwar period. And I guess, you know, you can contextualise this against how around the world there was this idea of the modern girl. Mm. Um, and so the figure mm. of the modern girl it's was... called Moga. Yeah, it's called Moga yeah. in Japan. Um, was really at the centre of um, the nation's imagination, right? Yeah. Like, what were the aspirations for Japan? How did she um, represent this? And at the same time, like, what dangers lurked in the shadows, you know, mm-hmm. for this figure as well? Mm-hmm. So we saw some beautiful um, artwork. So, for example, there were these colour woodblock um, pieces by Ishikawa Toraji. Um, this was called 10 Types of Female Nudes and it opened the exhibition. And it was just a beautiful kind of, yeah, a beautiful series mm. of pictures yeah. of these women in nude doing very everyday things like yeah. bathing or playing with the dog or just lounging at home. Yeah, yeah. My favourite was this artist who started at the age of 20 called Nagishi Ayako. Mm-hmm. And she was, she established herself as an artist of Bijinga, which translates as pictures of beautiful people, which I thought was so interesting that yeah. there's just a genre of that. Yeah. And I also love how she used traditional Japanese Nihonga style mm-hmm. with this technique called paddling, where it creates this very dreamy, um, washed-up backdrops that on first glance, it seems like she left it blank, like she left the background of the image blank, but actually it's very textured. And she would feature... Um, scenes like the the one that was shown in the exhibition was this scene of two girls um, in beautiful dresses like playing with their doing things with their hair yeah so puddling is when a large amount of water is applied with ground pigments and it leaves this water stain effect after drying yeah and Danny is absolutely right it leaves this very dreamy kind of look like you know they are kind of just whiling the afternoon away Mm. and it's like very um, languid, yeah. so it's really quite beautiful. But they are dressed to the nines, like their nails are painted, they mm. have this beautiful handbag with them, there's a ribbon at the back of one of the ladies' blouses, and you can see her hair has been pinned with a pin. Yeah. It's just beautiful. And another young artist that equally pictured um, two women in um, uh, a painting called Tea and Coffee Salon is Seiki Shunko, 
And I loved reading all the wall text. So um, Shunko left behind his studies in traditional Japanese painting to become a graphic designer at the pre- prestigious Shirokiya department store in the fashionable district of Nihonbashi. And I really enjoyed reading all these wall texts because it helped to conjure up images of what life must have been like yeah. then. Like exciting, you know, places to go, places to dress up um, for places to buy things to dress up with. Yes. So it was really quite amazing. And I didn't know this, but, you know, cafes and luxurious, and their luxurious international ambience supposedly epitomised a modern lifestyle at this time. And between 1930 and 1934, a government survey recorded a nationwide increase of cafes from 27,000 thereabouts to 37,000 establishments. But, I mean, that's still the case now if we go to Harajuku and, mm-hmm. like, the fact that the Japanese have built all these different ways and franchises of coffee making. Like, there's this one um, cons- uh, called Percentage Arabica, which has just opened in Singapore. Mm. And it's huge around the world. It's known for high-quality roasted beans. And, yeah. yeah, cafe culture has it's something very Parisian that has been kind of exported as culture and yeah. a way to like spend time and enjoy people life. watching being a flaneur <laughs> yeah for sure and I also thought the kimonos on display were beautiful mm. so um, these were not for the women but featured women so for example there was a men's jacket or a haori with nudes um, made <laughs> from silk and cotton so this was also from the 1930s there were also some really whimsical ones like a men's undergarment nagajuban with steam train clock and the old Tokaido road so it was all so interesting to see I mean there was it was just a feast for the censors Um, and I also especially enjoyed looking at the magazines so me too I was so surprised to to read that the publishing industry in Japan just kind of flourished so much from the 1900s and by 1900 90% of there was a 90% literacy rate and that's astounding because most people in Victorian England would not have had a high literacy rate mm. and only the educated and wealthy ones would have had that chance to study and learn how to read. So yeah. this means that it it would have cultivated this culture of learning and definitely yeah there's a strong reading culture and one of the magazines that they showed was this one called Asahi Weekly. Um, it was established in 1922 and continues to this day and it's the so it's the oldest and longest running weekly magazine pitched to family members of all ages. Um, so on display were the ones from 1934 to 1939 and featured like young, confident, modern women, so the MOGA. before World War Two. Yeah, you know, and I mean, these magazines would, wouldn't be different from the ones we would find in Shanghai at the same time, for yes. example. You know, so like in Shanghai, you would have like um, The Young Companion and um, magazines like that and they would have pretty much the same things on the cover, you know, so like the very modern type of women. They would have their hair cropped short, they might be wearing something mm. a little more risque, you know, mm. or even swimsuit um, in line with like the exercise culture of that mm. time, which also links to what was happening in Britain, for instance, you mm. know, in around the same yeah. Um, period. Yeah. So, yeah, wonderful. everything was, <laughs> it was just amazing. Um, and I mean, would have had no clue about all these beautiful things that were created at this time. Yeah. Now, what else was there? I also enjoyed looking at... I mean, there was that panel, you know, at the um, at the end of the exhibition by um, Taniguchi Fumi. So it's called 
Yosu Hitobito or preparing to go out. Mm, it was yeah. a six or it is a six panel folding screen um, with ink and watercolor on silk and lacquer on wood. And this is really fascinating. So Taniguchi Fumi was one of the few women um, to study under the famous painter Kawabata Ryushi uh, and exhibited with the highly regarded Blue Dragon Art Society. So she definitely faced challenges as a female artist in a male-dominated field. So even though we we're talking about how women were presented um, in these paintings and woodblock um, prints and whatnot, but it was still quite a male-dominated industry. Mm-hmm. But for um, Taniguchi Fumi, she received critical acclaim for her work and even held solo exhibitions at leading art galleries in the fashionable Ginza district in the early 1940s. So yeah, it was really quite a beautiful panel. The panel was, um, like I said, it's called Preparing to Go Out and it showed women doing just that. So they're like dressing, putting on their rouge, getting their hair curled, um, wearing beautiful dresses, putting on their shoes, choosing their jewellery. So it's such an intimate portrait, you know, of how women get ready to go out. And it also... I think relates to the idea of sisterhood, which I found very strong in the exhibition. Yeah. Yeah. So like women um, presented yeah. in pairs or in that groups. Exactly. There was women presented in pairs and all looking into a mirror. Mm. So that there were two of them. Yeah. Seeing double. Yeah. So it was all such a nice nourishing morning at NGV. Yeah. Um, and I left feeling really inspired. Me too. Um, Looking at these beautiful things. I know, yeah. (laughs) So, yes, that's what we have for our reviews Mm -hmm. of the two exhibitions. So, I mean, it's basically a rave review. We we love them both. A hundred stars. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Well, so that's all from us for today. Um, If you like what you hear, please subscribe to us on Spotify, um, SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts. And if you could review us... um, on these platforms that would be incredible and for images that relate to what we speak about do follow us on instagram at in the vitrine Music.